I am Cheryl Witten, and this is The Aromatherapist, where we discover the superpower of plants. One of the biggest problems in aromatherapy is conflicting information and crazy wild claims. All you have to do is search essential oils on the internet, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So when you're looking for information, how do you know who to trust, and how do you know what's right? Well, that's the reason I created this podcast, and a course called Science of Aromatherapy. The Science of Aromatherapy course takes you through aromatherapy as a healing art and the history and modern use of essential oils. You'll learn the basics of aromatherapy, the science and chemistry of essential oils, contraindications and safety considerations, and clinical and personal applications. In this course, I take you through everything from how aromatherapy affects epilepsy and bleeding disorders to drug interactions, allergies and sensitivities, and to use in pregnancy and breastfeeding, and even with children. We covered the main modes of application and profiles of the 10 most popular essential oils. By the end of the course, you'll understand the most common contraindications and safety guidelines, how to use essential oils, how to build a protocol, and how to choose, cross-reference, and eliminate essential oils, as well as how to formulate, blend, and dilute essential oils, and so much more. So why should you learn from me? Well, I'm a clinical aromatherapist, and I've been working with essential oils for around 20 years. I've trained with some of the world's renowned botanists and aromatherapy experts, and I teach people all over the world about aromatherapy. I also happen to be a professional health writer and have published peer-reviewed research work in aromatherapy. It's no longer necessary to be confused about aromatherapy. Let me guide you to clarity. Visit livelovelemon.com forward slash science dash course to enroll. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, I want to talk about Lyme disease and specifically Lyme disease and essential oils. Last week, we spoke to a patient with Lyme disease about her journey to health and recovery through chronic Lyme. We talked a lot about the detox process and treating Lyme and post-treatment Lyme symptoms naturally. A lot of pieces to Lyme, especially long-term Lyme, and there's a lot of controversy around Lyme. There's so much that's not understood. So I want to talk a little bit about herbs and essential oils in relation to Lyme disease. Can we use oils and herbs? And to what end? Are they effective? And what does the science really say about it? And then how do we put that into actual practical application? Lyme disease called Lyme borreliosis is the most common vector-borne disease in North America. Lyme disease occurs in other countries around the world and specifically in Europe. We can also see Lyme disease. But Lyme disease is caused by the spirochete bacterium called Borrelia burgdorferi and sometimes Borrelia myoni that is transmitted to humans through black-legged ticks or deer ticks and sometimes other kinds of ticks. So the tick latches on to a human and then it expels its salivary gland and abdominal contents into the skin, which then quickly can spread through the body. So the textbook description of Lyme is that it first starts with a rash and more specifically a bullseye rash. And the rash is called erythema migrans, and it can develop within three to 30 days of being bitten. Sometimes it looks like a spider bite, but the bite can also be in one place and then the rash can appear in a separate place on the skin. The thing is that only 30% of people develop a rash and actually only 9% of people 
who have Lyme disease actually develop a bullseye rash. So it's actually not a common identifier. Early Lyme disease also usually looks like a cold or flu. You have the cold and flu symptoms, chills, headaches, swollen lymph nodes, muscle aches, and those can be moderate to severe symptoms. But again, those symptoms don't always show up. And only about 18% of cases really have some of these classic symptoms. So it can look like a lot of different things. It can seem like a minor thing. You know, maybe you just have the flu. People really become unaware that this might be something serious. Then it goes untreated and the infection can spread and it can remain undiagnosed and untreated for a very long time, which then starts to really invade the systems and many problems can start to show up. And this infection can invade the joints and cause arthritis and really damage the tendons and the muscle fibers. It can invade the heart and cause Lyme carditis that causes irregular heartbeat and heart palpitations. And it can invade the central nervous system or the spine and the brain, which can create neurological symptoms that can be quite serious. So some of those symptoms, you know, neurological symptoms of Lyme can be blurred vision, confusion, cognitive problems like memory loss and brain fog, difficulty with tasks and, and difficulty speaking, difficulty reading and concentrating. It can also cause brain inflammation and spinal cord inflammation. And then when you have that kind of infection within the central nervous system, then you can start to get muscular issues as well and twitches and convulsions. Some other later symptoms can also be severe headaches, neck stiffness, facial palsies, severe arthritis, pain and joint swelling, numbness, nerve pain, tingling in the hands and feet. You can get shooting pains and then you can have dizziness and shortness of breath and skin rashes and gastrointestinal problems can also appear. And then if that remains undiagnosed and untreated, you can develop even more serious symptoms and you can kind of get into late stage Lyme disease, which can develop into quite serious neurological problems if it's left untreated for a long time. And, you know, some of this stuff can look like psychiatric disorders and with you know, you can start to see paranoia and mood disorders and sensory problems. And within all of this is an extreme fatigue. So if patients don't have a rash or can't remember having a rash or can't remember being bitten, it can look like a lot of other diseases. And in fact, some professionals feel that with neurological symptoms and multiple sclerosis, that patients should be tested and treated with antibiotics first and see if they improve. And the theory is that if it is Lyme disease, they will improve. And if it is MS, they won't. Some researchers even say that you can isolate the Borrelia bacteria out of plaques that occur in the brain in Alzheimer's disease. And so their neurological symptoms particularly, you know, can really look like other things. And so it can really continue to be untreated. And so that kind of leads us to the standard treatment for Lyme disease. The treatment for Lyme disease is typically antibiotics, and Lyme disease is a bacterial infection, and so antibiotics are the treatment. The problem is that it isn't always that neat and tidy. So theoretically, you have a bacterial infection, you take an antibiotic, it goes away. Most of the time that works. The Borrelia bacteria can resist antibiotic treatment, and actually that's really quite common. But it doesn't really take into account that if a person has gone for a really long time with this infection, you know, there can be some real serious damage as a result that antibiotics may not really fix. 
The CDC says that Lyme disease isn't very common and that what patients and some practitioners call chronic Lyme disease isn't really a thing. Instead, they call it post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, where in a small number of people, symptoms persist after being treated with antibiotics and they say they don't know why. But what's really interesting is that some of the largest Lyme disease organizations disagree with these statements and they sort of almost argue amongst themselves about how to proceed with treatment and testing. And these Lyme organizations state that chronic Lyme is very real and it is caused by undiagnosed infections running for so long because people either don't have those signs and symptoms of Lyme disease, you know, the, the textbook things that we consider to be Lyme disease are just not there, and because of inefficiencies in the treatment as well as testing. The testing is insufficient at this point. Some people call chronic Lyme disease multiple systemic infectious disease syndrome or MSIDS. And certain organizations say the proper definition should actually be CLDU or CLDPT, which means chronic Lyme disease untreated or chronic Lyme disease previously treated. Now, to understand why this is a really big deal is because there's a big controversy around it. And it takes one Google search to see like absolute scathing commentary in the media from physicians. And sort of this mockery happens of chronic Lyme disease. But Lyme organizations are saying this is very real. The real problem with Lyme disease is the long-standing infections that occur. Because the, the identifying symptoms are so often don't occur and sort of vague, it's very easy to miss an infection until it has gone and just completely wreaked havoc on the body. And it's no joke. If you have an infection that is long lasting, you're going to have damage to your systems. You're just going to have a lot of fire happening in your body and your immune system is going to be reacting to that. And so this is what chronic Lyme disease is. You know, a lot of the time, antibiotics can work. And you have a bacterial infection, you take an antibiotic. That is what we have been doing for a long time. But bacteria are resistant to antibiotics. And that is what's happening in, in Lyme disease is that in some people, it's resistant to treatment. And the damage that has been caused by the infection creates these long lasting symptoms, even after treatment. So it's not always necessarily that perhaps the bacteria infection is still there. Maybe you did actually get rid of the infection, but there's still symptoms that persist afterwards because there's no way that you can have an infection for so long and not have serious implications in your body. There's just no way. And so it can cause multi-system problems and damage that can be lasting or persistent. And one of the things that can also happen is co-infections. And so ticks also come with other bacteria or parasites. And they, when they unload their abdominal contents into a human, they also unload everything else. And so, you know, you can have co-infections that go along with that, especially if you end up with gastrointestinal problems you know, that can lead to dysbiosis and problems with your, the integrity of your microbiome, which can lead to autoimmunity. And so many professionals feel that Lyme disease can trigger autoimmunity. So 
Lyme disease can be really serious and can be really complex. If you've, if you've got to a point where you've had a long-term infection or you have persistent symptoms, lasting symptoms, it's important to work with someone who knows what's up with Lyme. That can make all the difference in how your treatment goes. So then where do herbal products and essential oils come into play with this? Can they help with Lyme disease? The answer is yes. Of course, you know the drill by now if you've been listening to this podcast for a while. I have to start with the obligatory statement that this is not considered a treatment by FDA standards. And I also strongly feel as a practitioner that this process is going to involve several protocols. So if you've had a long lasting infection, the body is in a state of inflammation. So it will be important to put out some of that fire through an anti-inflammatory diet. The gut microbiome is probably going to be a disaster if you've had multiple rounds of antibiotics. And so we're going to have to look at that. And the natural detoxification pathways are going to be a mess when you start to kill off all those organisms. You know, typically speaking, the body does a good job of getting rid of problems. But if you've been sick for a long time, those pathways are not going to be working the best that they can. So you were going to need to support those. You know, the bacteria, when they die, they release endotoxins that can flood your pathways and give you really rough symptoms. And this is called the Herxheimer reaction or the healing crisis. And if you have a long undiagnosed infection and then you try to hit it really hard with a bunch of, you know, antimicrobials, you can very easily experience a Herx reaction. So you're going to have to look at that. The joints can be inflamed and you can have Lyme arthritis. And in there, you can actually have damaged connective tissue. You know, you can have muscle fibers that are damaged. You can have damage to your tendons and ligaments. And, and so that can cause pain. So we have to look at that. And the next thing is that also bacteria create a biofilm and Lyme bacteria do that as well. And a biofilm is like this little bubble that the bacteria hang out in. So we throw antibiotics or antimicrobial medications at that you know, it might have some action, but it doesn't always get everything. And that can actually be because of the biofilm that protects the, the bacteria. It's like a little bubble for them. And the data actually shows that some antibiotics are not effective to the Borrelia because it's in the biofilm. So that biofilm has to be broken down also. So there's just, there's so much going on. And if you've gotten to the place where you are having multi-system issues, then things have to be addressed in a right order. You know, you want somebody who's going to, who knows what's happening so that you don't have any more problems. And a DIY approach is definitely not going to be recommended. Like this is complex and it can be serious. But let's back up a little bit to the herbs and the oils. Taking all that into account, there are some herbal protocols that are absolutely helpful and essential oils can be too. And so most of the way specifically essential oils are going to be helpful and going to be used is in a supportive symptom management type of way. Again, you know, essential oils are not really considered treatments for anything. And so we kind of have to think about that. However, in in vitro data, we see that garlic, allspice, hydechyme, litsia cubiba, which is Mei Chang, and myrrh oils had strong activity against Lyme. And cinnamaldehyde, which is a constituent in cinnamon, also had strong activity against the bacteria. And actually the cinnamaldehyde was strongest. 
How are you going to use them for that? Well, considering this is a complex disease and internet medicine is very poor medicine, we really need to talk about that, you know, in a consultation. There are also some herbs that can be used and, you know, maybe some garlic and maybe some black walnut, for example, probably some enzymes to break down the biofilm. But again, herbs carry contraindications, especially if you're on medication. So you really have to think about that as well. You don't really want to necessarily DIY your way through all of this. But once you start to kill off the microbes, I want to see liver and kidney and bowel support for detoxification happening. You know, you've got to get those toxins bound up and out of the body. So I want to see things like citrus oils, oils high in limonene, maybe Palo Santo, to stimulate that glutathione, S-transferase, enzymes. And those are some of the detoxification pathways in the liver that are going to help keep things moving. I'd probably want to see some milk thistle in there for the support as well. But in terms of managing symptoms, specifically with essential oils, there's many, many things that essential oils can do. So, you know, we can take a look at pain management with lavender, cypress, marjoram, copaiba, peppermint. We can look at skin rashes with lavender and calendula and chamomile and aloe. And we can look at headaches with eucalyptus and lavender, rosemary for brain fog and cognition and fatigue. The immune system is affected, and so sometimes people have shingles pop up. So melissa oil could help for that. And there's just many, many different things that you can use to manage symptoms. And so it can be a great complementary therapy to help you sort of through some of the things you're experiencing. An individual approach really is going to be the most important thing. Some oils may not be recommended based on different medications you're taking or your age or other health conditions. You know, not all things and all plants are universally safe for everyone. So you, you know, you want to keep that in mind and maybe work with an experienced practitioner. Those are some things you can do to help the body. When it comes specifically to essential oils, it's really going to be about symptom management. And the next thing that comes up in relation to essential oils is about prevention. So what about prevention? What can we do so that we don't even get ticks and Lyme disease to begin with? Well, DEET is the generally recommended insect repellent, right? But it's pretty aggressive stuff and pretty unsafe, which makes you really want to pause and consider whether you want to put that on yourself and your kids and your pets. So people look for other options. And there is some data on essential oils for tick prevention, but nothing that's really formally approved by any appropriate regulatory body. Evidence shows that a combination of clove bud, creeping thyme, which is thymus serpillum, and citronella is effective as a repellent at 3% concentration. The combination of creeping thyme and citronella seem to be the most effective. Also, we see things like clove and cedar and peppermint are effective. However, while those botanicals are not approved, as an actual insect repellent, the CDC does recommend lemon eucalyptus oil or eucalyptus citriodora. Now, here's the thing about essential oils for insect use. A lot of us are used to a spray. You know, we have a DEET spray that, you know, people spray on themselves. But sprays are not going to do it with essential oils. DIY bug sprays with essential oils in them are just not effective. And you really want an oil-based product that you're going to put on your skin like a lotion. 
And this is because when you put essential oils in the spray and you just spritz it on yourself, it's going to evaporate and then it's really not even going to do anything. It's not going to be effective, right? So, you know, some people don't enjoy the oil-based type of repellent and it may not feel super amazing (laughs) because you're basically just slicked up, but you have to really just ask yourself, do you want to get bitten? And if the answer is no, then woman up and just get it on your skin. I use a product that is a sesame oil base, but a neem oil base can also be effective since neem does demonstrate some efficacy against ticks, but can also irritate the skin and it's also not an official insect repellent. You know, there really are few that actually officially are. So that's something to keep in mind as well. And really the best prevention is going to be tight clothes, making sure you're checking the body after being outside and avoiding places that have ticks like long grasses are particularly bad. So to sum it all up, there's a couple of things I really want you to take away from this. The first is that Lyme disease is serious. We can potentially be talking about encephalopathy here, brain inflammation caused by Lyme disease. So that is, you know, not something to play around with, right? So this is a complex multi-system disease that needs appropriate attention. Like let's not DIY things, okay? The second thing is that antibiotics are effective if you have the right combination, but it's also common for the bacteria and other co-infections to be resistant to antibiotics. So herbal protocols can be helpful here. Once you get through some of the protocols too, and you're just blasting everything in the body, you're really going to have a dive on your good bacteria as well, your microbiome as well. So that is going to need some attention to replenish that after the fact. And so this is what I mean about it's a really involved disease. You need someone who can really work this out for you step by step. The third thing is that testing is really inadequate and healthcare knows this, hopefully There will be some headway in the near future with this, but it's very common to have tests that don't work. And the fourth thing is that essential oils are mainly really going to be used for symptom management specifically and in support of detoxification pathways, unless you're working directly with someone who knows what they're doing. Generally speaking, you know, essential oils are going to be pretty tough to use internally for Lyme disease, if you have, especially if you have gastro problems and you've got fire happening everywhere, you know, putting a raw oregano oil, for example, into your digestive system, I mean, oh, it's not going to feel good. And so it's about knowing the right way to do it. And that's what I mean about working with someone who knows what they're doing. I really like to see herbal products being used here as antimicrobials mostly because that's going to be a little bit more of a gentle process than essential oils. But I like to see oils in there for supporting like citrus oils for really supporting the liver, essential oils that are specific to the liver and the kidneys and the bowels that can really help the detoxification process to make sure you're not getting completely flooded. There was a time when we used to think that Lyme disease was very uncommon. It is not the case anymore. Lyme disease is actually more common than people realize and it's growing and we don't understand it very well. And many people suffer with Lyme disease and don't know it. Some people suffer from Lyme disease and do know it and can be really sick. But there is hope 
And there are people who can help and there are very smart people out there who are learning about Lyme disease and specializing in Lyme disease and treating Lyme disease. And people like me who are talking about this stuff who are really advocating for more knowledge, more research, more information. So if you haven't listened to episode 43 with Kelly Codell, please listen to that as she shares her story of recovery from chronic Lyme disease and what she learned and how she's working now in the field and helping others who have Lyme disease. So if you have suffered from Lyme disease, you are suffering, you need help, please reach out to us. If you have conquered Lyme disease and you are able to speak and help someone else, please connect with us. We would love to hear from you. All right, beautiful people. Thank you so much for listening today. If you feel so inclined, please subscribe, rate, and review this show. For show notes and more information on essential oils, please visit livelovelemon.com forward slash podcast. And we love to know what you're up to and how you're using your essential oils. So head over to Instagram and find us at the Aromatherapist Podcast. My name is Cheryl Witten, and I am your aromatherapist. We have to share with you this obligatory disclaimer. Information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a replacement for medical advice or for professional aromatherapy consultation. If you need medical care, please visit your physician. Speak to your primary care provider, pharmacist, and a qualified aromatherapist before commencing any programs.